0: Welcome to the Digital You podcast, the place where we explore the implications of living in a digital world. Often referred to as the fourth industrial revolution, digitalization is the major trend in industry, business and society. It affects everyone, including you, both in our private lives and at work. In this podcast, I interview people that are digital leaders and are living the transformation, to see what we can learn from them in terms of mindset, approaches, best practices and traps to avoid. The goal is to make you better at what you do and helping you to be a digital citizen and professional in a rapidly changing world. In this episode I meet with Björn Ekelund from Ericsson Research where he leads hardware and devices research as well as research into electromagnetic fields. Digitalization is really a, a major trend in society and it is basically causing a major transformation. of. Everything in life, I mean, personal life, professional life, industry, etc. And many people refer to it as the fourth industrial revolution. <laughs> so yeah. I'm really excited uh, to be here um, today with Björn Eklund from Ericsson, who is head of uh, hardware research and electromagnetic field research and device research. I hope I got it right, Björn. Yeah. And I must say that I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk to you. I mean, we've known each other for several years now. I've really been um, impressed with how you've worked inside Ericsson, but also how you've worked in the region, how you've actually actively worked and tried to establish uh, uh, Ericsson in the region, but also how you've looked at after the region and made sure that there are good opportunities here in uh, in Scania. Thank you. Glad so,
1: to be here.
0: Yeah. So it's great to have you on the podcast. So, so for the listeners, perhaps could I ask you to give a short introduction into who you are, and
1: uh, what your background is? I mean, who is Bjorn? <laughs> well, I guess I'm a lot of things. Um, uh, I uh, I moved to Skåne uh, sort of in in my teens, so I'm not i I'm not a native Scanian. Ah, okay. um, and then I. Uh, I studied in Lund. I got uh, both a master's degree and a, <clears throat> and a, a, a postgrad uh, degree um, in microelectronics and mm. telecommunications. Uh, and this was back in the late 80s when GSM was not even invented. Right. Uh, but I, I, could, so I had a very visionary professor, Sven Olof who had been with Ericsson in the past, right. um, who was really into digital radio. He felt that radio would become digital and that would revolutionize the world. Right. And of course, he was right. Yes. I mean, that was sort of the the starting point for mobile, modern mobile communications. Um, I joined Ericsson. Uh, I mean, with Ericsson, actually, August this year, it's 30 years. It's pretty scary.
0: So you're still a new, uh, uh, still a beginner. In yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right? yeah. Well, asking me, what. how can you stay with an employer for 30 years? I mean, the simple answer is that I have, I think I've had 11 jobs. I had six different employers. I mean, it's not like you just do one thing. No. And also over the years, I've developed a lot of side activities. So um, as you know, I mentioned, I've been uh, very involved in, in the general development of the, um, of the sort of the high-tech ecosystem here in Skåne as well. Um, so I do some advising for Vinova. I do advisory work for Technique for the for the European Commission. Be, I'm sit on a number of company boards, so I mean I have um, my days are fairly full actually. <laughs> You're not bored. In no, any way. I'm not. No. Uh, and I've been with Ericsson. I've been I've been sort of doing. I'm, I'm sort of come back to where I started because back in '87 I joined the research team, right, developing the the foundation for our first GSM mobile phones. Um, and now, I mean, 29 years later, I'm, I'm back in research. Uh, uh, I made a small detour through, I mean, via R&D and product management and strategy and some other things, but now I'm back in research and uh, loving it.
0: Still loving it. Yes. 30 years later. <laughs> yes. Amazing. <laughs> Great. So, what, as you know, this podcast is about digital professionals and yeah. the digital you. And, and as we said in the introduction, digitalization is really a very is a very big trend but it's also a very broad and generic term so what does that actually mean for you what does digitalization mean for you and what does it mean for Ericsson? Well
1: to me I think um, I mean digital it's sort of a I think for me it's a very important tool I think I would uh, and I think most professionals would not survive their day without digital help. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the use of uh, communications, the use of of IT solutions, I mean, be it email or or chat functions or, or, uh, I mean, VoIP, telephony or anything. I mean, um, you manage your time, you communicate, um, everything down to simple things like approving and a purchase order. I mean, everything Mm -hmm. is digital today. And it's very interesting to see because when you look back at I mean, not just Ericsson, most companies in the eighties and nineties, no. I mean the pace was just completely different. Yeah. I mean I remember when we had secretaries typing out memos and sending them through on paper on internal mail and you got it like two days later. Yeah. That would just yeah. be unthinkable today.
0: So, so I thought it was this really interesting analogy Because you went, you entered the industry when we switched from analog radio to digital radio. Yeah. And now we are in a stage where, and all society is moving from being analog to digital. Yes. And already you alluded to one of the things, and it's this whole notion of speed. Mm. Life goes faster and faster. It seems to be that the moment you go from analog to digital, the speeds... I don't know,
1: increases with an order of magnitude. Do you, do you recognize that? Or? Oh, it's, yeah, absolutely. And it's probably several orders of magnitude. I yeah. mean, and this, I mean, we already see it in society, in society too. <coughs> I think, I mean, the impact of so- social media, I mean, we still haven't really figured out, I no. think. No, um, uh, um, How, I mean, how, how, how both... Uh, Lies and truths are spread with lightning speed. I mean, yes. What kind of what that means to democracy and things like that. Yeah. that? That's I think we're still figuring that out. Um, just as we were struggling to figure it out, I mean, figure digital radio out in the 80s, or figure out uh, uh, project resource planning made digital in the 90s, and so on. Right.
0: Yeah. Does it worry you the digital transformation of society? I mean if we look at the Trumps and the Putins and the fake news well, and the, the impact on the democracy and all these things does that I mean what is your perspective on this I mean many people are very worried about it
1: I think I mean there are good reasons to be worried still I I, I tend to believe in in the de- democracy as sort of a how should I should say a method or, or a governance and, and uh, 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 I mean I, I, I'm I'm I believe in in um, in humanity I, I believe yeah. that we I mean these things that are happening that may be disturbing or worrying I mean they will eventually fade or fail right I, I, that I, I strongly believe that yeah I think <clears throat> going back looking at history I mean we had these disruptions before I read an interesting <clears throat> I mean for instance the, the there's this big scare about digitalization now will making a lot of people jobless. I read a book just actually yesterday about um, uh, an interesting book about uh, schoolboys hacking the the, um, AT&T telephony system in the 50s in the U.S., Uh, making blue boxes and black boxes and things like that. But there was one fact that really struck me, and that was they said that in the 1920s there were over 100,000 telephony operators employed. And number. over yeah. over a decade, they just disappeared. Yeah. And, I mean, society didn't collapse. No. I no. mean, we've had these things before. Yeah. So, I mean, this will happen now. I'm sure, for instance, there will be a lot of lawyers who will be replaced by software robots. There will be other jobs. Yeah. I mean, disappearing or changing. But there will be new ones. Yeah.
0: No, this all goes back to the Luddites in the 17th century when uh, England automated the textile production, yeah. uh, basically. So, no, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you, but I do know that many people are very worried about it. I also do think that we can't just sit still. And I not think do it's anything. healthy to
1: be worried, yeah. because worry makes people act.
0: Yeah. yeah. But the fact of the matter is that even though many governments want to be much more isolationists, what we now see is that every business and every human being is almost connected to other parts of the planet. So it's very hard for a country to turn isolationist I think if everything a, in society yeah, is actually connected to everything else in society, uh, right?
1: It's actually, I think it's impossible.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, for Ericsson, what does digitalization mean for Ericsson? I mean, you have your 5G research, I mean, you're really looking into making communication and connectivity basically embedded in every aspect of life, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. is that is how I'm <coughs> reading Ericsson from the outside? Is that, is that how
1: you see it? Absolutely. I think an interesting change <clears throat> that we see now is that, uh, and actually we had this discussion with, with, with uh, even the Swedish government, is that telecom, I mean, which used to be regarded as sort of its own sector, is becoming a component in everything. Right. I mean, if you are in agriculture, or mining, or manufacturing, or transportation, telecom is sort of an essential part of your business going forward, Uh, and that's of course uh, a huge challenge for Ericsson, but it's also a huge opportunity. Um, We are, uh, over the year, I mean over the past years we have developed, part of of the Ericsson organization is called industry and society. Right. That has gone from a fairly modest operation to what is now what is called a customer group. It's a a fairly big investment. Um, And as you know, I mean, we work with companies like Volvo and Maersk and others digitalizing their operations. We're working with industries. We have research projects now with Boolid and mining, with SKF manufacturing and so on. Uh, So we're broadening our scope quite dramatically uh, in, in, in this uh, respect, and it's not just about communicating. I mean, it's about uh, cloud services. It's about management systems. Uh, it's about systems integration, uh, asset management. Uh, so, so I mean, the, the sort of the IT part of Ericsson is growing very rapidly. Because that's what
0: I wanted to dive into a little bit before we talk into what uh, dive into what does this mean for individuals. If when when connectivity becomes part of everything, it almost becomes like electricity. It becomes a commodity. Yes. So all the value that a company like Ericsson creates then has to be on top of that, right? I mean the connectivity <coughs> itself you need. Yeah. But it's like it's a commodity like electricity or anything else mm-hmm. that you talk about. So so what is the strategy that what is the strategy that Ericsson follows to really understand or to really differentiate itself and make sure that it doesn't become a commodity company?
1: Well, I mean, communication may be a commodity in some situations. Um, If you're talking about just getting access to internet in a shopping mall, that may be a fairly sort of simple thing uh, when it comes to value. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, uh, if it works, it's good. If it doesn't work for a few minutes, I mean, people are maybe a little frustrated, but I mean, nothing bad happens. The sky doesn't fall. Yeah. Yeah. If you're remote controlling a car, or a bus yeah. i mean they just have to work yeah or you, if you do some remote, remotely assisted surgery for instance right. something like that i mean there are so there is this huge scale of sort of criticality uh, from from sort of very uh, uncritical to super critical yeah <clears throat> and um I mean, Ericsson's ambition is, of course, to support both ends of this scale. Even both the sort of the the really simple and basic and maybe not very critical communication, but also the really critical and and sophisticated and and reliable and and secure
0: communication. And what you're saying is that uncritical communication is maybe commodity, but if the higher the criticality goes up, the less of a commodity it actually becomes. It is, it is, yeah. yeah. And that's where you see Ericsson really differentiate. Yeah. Good, so if we talk and change perspectives a little bit and we look at individuals, yeah, so I'm as a digital professional, if you want, I mean, what does this mean for individuals working in companies, what does this mean for individuals in society, I mean, what are the key reflections that you have about how do I become a digital professional, what does it even mean to be a digital professional?
1: Yeah, I I wish I had the answer. I think I am one, but I'm not sure. Well, <laughs> oh, you told me before we started. You sit now
0: in coffee shops working. That's uh, yeah, so
1: stuff. I don't know if that is the definition of a digital professional. <laughs> uh, I mean, reading emails in a coffee shop, um, uh, there may be more to it. I think, uh, um, I think what... <clears throat> well, it's a difficult question. Over the years, I... Uh, I mean, I, I, I love technology. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm very keen on trying new things and, and testing new, I mean, new pieces of equipment or new softwares and things like that. So I'm, I, I'm probably fairly early on this sort of adopter curve. Right. Um, and sometimes you realize that, I mean, this new thing is really not working for you. I mean, I no. got this uh, wristband at my, a year or two ago, uh, measuring my sleep and my, behavioral pat- moving patterns and and number of steps I took and so on but I mean after a few months I got bored and now it's in a, in a, a, a cupboard somewhere <clears throat> I think we have uh, had the same type of <laughs> wristband because it didn't work for me either so no, but uh, then I'm there still are other, I mean clothes. the other thing I mean there may be other gadgets that that you find useful yeah. and I mean so I think this sort of there's sort of a darwinistic uh, process that yeah. you go through with all these new things <clears throat> I think um, uh, now, looking at Ericsson and <clears throat> how we work, uh, I think there is a general uh, sentiment that you, I mean, what these new things, I mean, be it uh, internal chat or, or collaboration boards or, or or other things, I mean, they are typically fairly quickly embraced. Right. Uh, and then you fairly quickly find out whether they work for you or not. Right. Um I think in general, so so may, it may be sort of. I'm not sure that the sort of the Ericsson and Ericsson office is very representative of, of 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 enterprises in in general because it's sort of a very techie environment. Yeah. <clears throat> if you go to, a, I mean, why not say a mining company or a transportation company? Yeah. <clears throat> there may be completely different challenges. Um, I think experimenting is is. Uh, is key. Uh, it's unfortunately quite rare yeah, because it's uh, scary yeah. and you may not want to risk your order book or your emails or your calendar or what have you, I mean, yeah. with some new tool or some something that you do not trust. So um, it's, um, no, that's a, it's a
0: difficult question. Yeah, because I think that you're getting into something quite interesting. We see that the adoption of new technologies, new solutions goes faster than ever before. I mean, for those of the listeners with small kids, Pokemon Go last summer went basically through the roof in terms of adoption, right? I mean, I've never seen so many kids walking around with mobile phones in their hands. Uh, intently looking at the screen basically, right? (laughs) So on the one hand we see that the adoption of new technology is really fast, that many people want to be leading on that curve, so they are much more willing to experiment, Mm. which I think we see on the private side, and that's what I see with my kids, I'm sure you see something similar with your kids. But on the company side, we see that the companies in the Web 2.0 world, they do vast amounts of experimentation. If you look at A-B testing on websites, I mean, I work with companies that run 1,000 or 1,500 AB experiments almost mm. continuously. Mm. Um, so we see that this whole notion of starting with a set of requirements and then building according to specification is going away, and we're moving towards <coughs> a experiment-driven form of product development and basically bringing experimentation to almost every function in a company. Yeah. Do, do you see that at Ericsson as well, or do you mostly see it in other companies?
1: Well, we have we have a fair share of that but i think it's it's um, it ha- also has to do with the, what kind of business you're in yeah. because if you're in a services business and right. where your entire offering or platform is digital right <clears throat> it's so much i mean the threshold for experimentation is so much lower than if you're actually selling cabinets right and and radio towers and stuff like that yeah. i mean so so it really has to do with your product how I mean, how easy it is to do these kind of things and also, of course, <clears throat> the kind of relationship you have with your customer if you if the the goods and the services that you sell end up being your customer's property, it's not very easy to experiment yeah. with it yeah. if you have a cloud service and you're offering a service you can you can actually change it anytime you like yeah. I mean, so there are a number of factors that plays into role, but I also think that this sort of this experimentation culture is much more strong in the companies and and organizations that have been born digitally. Right. Uh, uh, The ones that come out of traditional manufacturing or whatever have you, they don't have that kind of DNA.
0: No, Uh, but that puts us on a very interesting other topic which is we now know that companies on the Fortune 500, the tenure of those companies, how long they stay on that list, is now down to 10 years. So the fact that you say, yeah, but if you have a manufacturing background, is that only increasing your risks of being disrupted by companies that were started being fully digital? Or do you feel that there are other things going on? And if if it is important to become digital, I mean, this is a podcast about digitalization Hmm. and the digital professional. (laughs) Yeah. What do you actually do to accelerate this rate of change? Because, I mean... If you're gonna stay like you are, I mean, I worked for Nokia at some point in the past, yes. yeah. <laughs> then it's really risky that you uh, get
1: basically disrupted by other players that move faster. Absolutely. And that I think is, is a huge risk to many of the existing players in, I mean, look at the core industry I and mean, how that is transforming. Right. That's really interesting to see. Yeah. And some do it better than others. Uh, but I mean, it's interesting to see how how suddenly software people rise to the top management level of core companies yeah it's interesting to see how core companies are employing one mechanical engineer for every 10 software engineers i mean this this is you this huge and ericsson i think we we've actually historically we've been very good at changing uh, i mean we have reinvented ourselves quite a lot a number of times yeah (coughs) going back to the 70s when the main material Ericsson was buying was actually sheet metal yeah. for making transformers <laughs> and selectors, electromagnetic selectors. Yeah. I mean, In the 80s, it was electronic components because yeah. it was the AXE switch. Yeah. I mean, now it's software and services. Yes. So, I mean, even a few years ago, Ericsson has transformed into actually have the majority of its revenue coming from software and services yeah. and not equipment.
0: So help me understand, Bjorn, because I cannot... Resist identifying the irony of you accepting the job to be hard, head of hardware research in a company that is predominantly software.
1: Help me understand what were you thinking? It's the best job. <laughs> Clearly, best. Yeah, you know, without 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 hardware, uh, I mean, uh, you cannot really sell software. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, of course, you can sell cloud software. Yeah. But since since Ericsson, I mean the, the software and the services that we sell yeah. is really based on installed equipment, of on radio towers, on base stations, yeah. on stuff. Uh, being yeah. having the best hardware I mean that's a key differentiator.
0: Yeah. No, it's often <laughs> I often say the values in the bits, but it's really hard to deliver the bits without the atoms. That's it is. Yeah, you I'm need saying.
1: the atoms too, and you yeah. need pretty good atoms. Yes, actually, I can see that. So the next part
0: where I try to do is I try to get into the Bapo model. I think you uh, have discussed it inside Ericsson in different cases as well. The Bapo model says that I have a business and business strategy, that should drive my system and software and organizational architectural choices, that then in turn should result, uh, should drive my processes, tools and ways of working, and that then in the end should drive my organization. So what I was Mm. hoping to do is take Mm. you through the business architectural process and organizational implications of of digitalization. So if I look at the business side of, of digitalization, I see two interesting or uh, several interesting things. We already talked about speed. Yeah, The moment you go from analog to digital, you go up one or multiple orders of magnitude in terms of speed. The other thing that I notice is that almost every digital industry, the overall amount of money in the market tends to shrink quite dramatically. I mean, if you look from international phone calls yeah. earlier to Skype today, I think that's a really interesting Uh, case I mean I still spent money on Skype but I spent very little money on international phone calls and and after June probably zero because most my calls are within Europe right and within Europe. Mm -hmm. So what are the business implications that you see for from that are the root cause of or that are driven by digitalization and and what happens in businesses that go digital? So now I'm looking at business and business strategy.
1: Yeah I think I I read this really great book recently called Sown to Win" by hmm. Jeffrey Moore, right? The guy who wrote uh, "Escape Velocity" and uh, uh, "Crossing, the, Catec- Crossing chasm, the Chasm," yeah, and, uh, and all exactly. these books. Yeah, <coughs> he 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 uh, he, he uh, published a new book now, and and it's uh, uh, we may come back to that. But th- there's one one thing that he mentioned. It was an interesting model. Uh, Uh, So life cycle model, how industries and businesses digitalize. Uh, He said that first, uh, uh, the the, uh, uh, infrastructure digitalize. Secondly, the operating model digitalize. And then thirdly and finally, the business model digitalize. Right, interesting. And I I thought this was really insightful because if you look at the music industry, for instance, uh, what happened in the 80s was that the CD record was invented. Yeah. So the infrastructure became digital.
0: Nice.
1: Not much changed. You still went to a, a record store to buy your albums. Right. Yeah. You still bought albums. Um, you still had, I mean, you owned them. You had a piece of yeah. physical, I mean, physical thing that you own. Next step was, uh, and this what, what what this did was to pave the way for the second move or second disruption or change. And that was when yeah. the operating model digitalized. Right. And that was the, I mean, the advent of iTunes. Right. Suddenly you could buy the 99 digital...
0: 99 a song, basically. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. You bought the song. You didn't know, no longer bought an album. Maybe you could get a sort of a, you get a discount if you bought an album, but you yeah. didn't have to. No. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, that now thing started to happen. Record stores yeah. uh, closed. The price of music actually went down. Uh, you could start, uh, I mean, iTunes took away the DRM, you could start yeah. sharing music with your friends. Um, uh, and of course revenue fell, but volume went up. Yeah. Then the third wave, the business model digitalizing, yeah. that's Spotify. Yeah. Suddenly yeah. you have this all-you-can-eat business model and you just pay and you consume yeah. whatever you like.
0: So I'm gonna go out on a limb and ask you to project this into the future. So take an industry where the infrastructure hasn't digitalized yet. So what would be a, an example of an industry that you think? So I'm going to ask you from today to project into the future. very obvious
1: one is banking. Ah,
0: good. Go and tell. Uh, <laughs> how how, will you, how do you predict that this will Well, go?
1: I mean, same thing. I mean, we, we have I mean, going back to the 80s and 90s, suddenly you—I mean—you had you to have this bank book, yes—and that was where your money was. Your money
0: was a physical thing. It was a physical now. thing.
1: Yeah. In the 80s and 90s, your money turned digital. Yeah. So you could go in—you could go into any bank or, uh, and, and and do a withdrawal or deposit. Yeah. And your money ended up in a computer in the yeah. bank office. Uh, next wave was that the operating model changed. I mean, right. According to Jeffrey Moore. Uh, and you could start to do your banking over the internet. Right. Now, again, like in the music industry, things started to happen. Yeah. Uh, bank offices closed, I mean, consolidation, uh, centralized yeah. customer care, and so on. The third step has not yet happened. The all-you-can-eat, right. the sort of the unbundling step yeah. has not yet happened, because yeah. that is the cryptocurrency. That's so the when bitcoins, you start, the blockchains, exactly, exactly.
0: etc. of this world—that's yeah. where you really see yeah. exactly.
1: That's when the banks start to become uh, not irrelevant, but probably different co- companies. Yeah. 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 That's an
0: interesting mm. observation. Any other industries that you where you think that they are all really industries.
1: Behind? There will be no no I mean Yeah.
0: <laughs> no one will be spared. No, I often <laughs> I often comment on two industries. Yeah. Um, one is construction, if you look at how we build buildings of course. today. It's really, really old fashioned and it's the reason buildings are so expensive is because they haven't innovated over the last hundred no. years, right? And the other one is actually education. Yes. I think that if we look at university education,
1: that will happen faster. Yeah.
0: Twenty students in yeah, a room yeah. with a with a professor in front of it. What an outdated model! Oh. I, I often feel, but yeah. um, maybe that's me. Actually, my oldest is now studying at a university in the Netherlands, and he often, um, if he has a bad lecturer, he stops going to the lectures and watches the MIT, Stanford, or Berkeley yeah. lecture online because he gets a much better experience, yeah. which I think is, uh, is an interesting one. If we look at, I mean, we're both technology people, if we look at architectural implications, and I'm looking at system architecture, um, but also organizational architecture. Mm. I mean, what, what do you see happen? What are the implications of digitalization on system architecture and organizational architecture?
1: I think the interesting opportunity with digitalization is openness, Yeah, both in architecture and in organization.
0: Right. So what do you mean when you say openness? In your it means
1: mind? the capability to collaborate over company borders, over organizational yeah. borders. <clears throat> in in architecture do you do that I mean you use you can use you use api's basically yeah.
0: yeah so you're really going yeah. from internal systems to yeah. ecosystems exactly where you agree on in interfaces with your ecosystem yeah parts. you
1: can start so, to share so. revenue you can share innovation you can I mean you can have this uh, because I think I mean it's no it's not news to anybody that that uh, uh, I mean I, I saw this I don't remember who said it but um, uh, there was already this quote uh, that um, maybe it was Johnson & Johnson but it doesn't matter yeah uh, anyway he had made this person had made a survey of all the experts working within a certain area right and that was area was actually one of the sort of the core areas of these companies and they realized that that uh, 99.9% of all the experts did not work for them yes
0: <laughs> So I think Bill Joy um, mentioned this at some point yeah. So, uh, so yeah
1: and I think, I mean, that's sort of, I kind of like that thought, because yeah. what we do in Ericsson now is that we're trying to work, I mean, historically we've been very monolithic and sort of, we've been doing everything ourselves. I mean, even yeah. down to, what have you, I mean, compilers and stuff. Yes. Um, that is now changing very, changing very rapidly and, and we're turning to a model where, where we, we rely much more on oper- collaboration. I mean, yeah. we, we're opening up these garages, yeah. Ericsson garage all over the place. Um, we have all sorts of, of collaborative programs both in research and product yeah. development and rely much more on partners that are I mean, they're not competitors, but they do stuff we could do. Yeah. But they probably do it better. Yeah. And they do it faster. Yeah. Uh, so and and this is sort of I would say this is both organization and architecture because yeah. they go together. Yeah. If you build a system and you organise And you put your project organization you typically mimic the architecture in your project organization to some extent so if you have external partners they will also be part of that organization somehow yeah Uh, and they will connect to your system somehow yeah and and so so i think they sort of go together so
0: i have two directions i want to go to i want to go to where do the organizational boundaries go That's what I want to do next because I think if you go back to the 60s with the whole transaction cost theory, Mm. what we're actually seeing is that the cost of cross-organizational transactions is actually going down, Mm. which makes doing things inside the borders of the organization less relevant. But before we go there, I wanted to talk about the word expert (laughs) because one of the definitions of expert that I heard that I really liked is an expert is someone that tells you why something cannot be done. Yeah. And what I look as if I combine it with innovation, innovation is always about breaking the rules. Absolutely. Yeah, you're always changing the rules. I'm, I'm struggling with understanding when is expertise valuable. Yeah, I gave a talk last week and I said, you know, if you've worked anywhere for 25 years, your opinion is probably not so relevant because the world is changing so fast that yeah. whatever you yeah. learned 25 years ago doesn't really mean anything anymore. But of course, at the same time, experience is really valuable, right? So, where does the boundary go? When is experience relevant, and when should you have what the Japanese call the beginner's mind, and yeah. basically not
1: enter a situation with all these preconceptions that we have? Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I think <clears throat> one thing that I've—I mean, I've been—I've been involved in innovation for a long, long time, and and one thing that I learned—that's
0: um, why you have all the gray hairs, right? Ah, uh, it
1: is, yeah. <laughs> Uh, one thing I learned over the years is that, as you get more experienced and you burn your fingers a lot of times, and you do, uh, uh, I kind of liked. What, I think it was Einstein who said that. Uh, when I when I, um, I never fail. I either succeed or learn. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> an interesting one. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. Uh, what I've learned is that. Uh, became aware of is that you develop what I call anti-creative reflexes
0: yes (laughs) because you're as an expert you become less open to learning because you think
1: you've seen it already or something yeah you've seen it fail yeah and you see but you you have to keep in mind you've seen it fail in another context yes it's never exactly the same context it's never the same conditions same environment uh, and so on Uh, so these anti-creative reflexes they, they, they often kill off ideas before you're almost aware of them. Yes. Yeah,
0: interesting. And this
1: is interesting. an interesting, if you start, this is, yeah. I think this is really the key to maintaining your creativity, to sort of to be, become aware of these reflexes and how right. they kill off ideas before you even almost have them. Interesting.
0: So can you give some examples of some of the reflexes that you've run into over the years? By other people, of course. (laughs) You don't have any of those, but still. No,
1: I think, you know, I think um, uh, you caught me off guard a bit. I think, um, I mean, we've all been uh, in projects where things have not worked out. Yes. And you know exactly why, and you try to avoid that. Uh, But then, I mean past 10 years and Morse law do a lot yeah. of things to everything. Software technology changes. Society soci- changes. Everything changes. Yeah. And suddenly that old uh, sort of uh, Thing failure, that yeah. I mean, that's that's sort of irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, there are interesting examples. Now, this is an old example. But for instance, in the 80s, um, late 80s, uh, switched capacitor filters on ships became very popular. Right. Uh, uh, because suddenly you could do them. I mean, the idea was like 35, 40 years old. But uh, when that was invented, it was not really practical because it was too costly, you didn't get the performance, you had too much noise and so on. But then, I mean, 30 years later, uh, with the semiconductor technology and so on, it suddenly became a really good idea. And I'm sure there are tons of things like that around that used to be... I mean, quote-unquote stupid, yeah. that are not no longer
0: stupid. So I think that that's one of the hardest things. When can you rely on your expertise and know without having to repeat the mistake that yes. this is not going to work? And when do you know that, or when should you <clears> accept <throat> that you the learning that you had at some point in the past is no longer valid? I, think, I think that balance is really hard to figure my, out.
1: Yeah, it is, it is. And, and uh, if not impossible, I mean, uh, I believe in... The creative conflict right I believe in mixing disciplines I mean I believe in mixing individuals right because then the experts they can both be experts. or they can I mean the whole team can be experts yeah. but if they start to question each other then you can get out of these sort of lockdowns that yeah. you may have Exactly.
0: Good. That was an interesting one. And interesting to hear it from a Swede, who, <laughs> where I experienced the Swedish culture as the most consensus-driven culture that exists. So. <laughs> but that's funny. I want to combine the processes, tools, ways of working, and the organizational part with the discussion that we just uh, parked a little bit. Many discussions around organization these days are concerned with doing away with hierarchy, doing away with managers, to move towards cross-functional teams, to make everyone involved in the same team almost to make things happen. So you're really cross-functional rather than having to go up and down the hierarchy, which is really slow Hmm. and all these other things. And my feeling is that if we look at digital professionals, that's where I think, where I see the world going, that we're doing more and more away with, manager jobs and hierarchy and more and more it's about collaboration, collaboration within interdisciplinary teams within the organization or cross functional teams, but also across organizational boundaries. What do you see happen in your context? How does Ericsson move into that direction? Because the moment you go of an organizational boundary, I mean there's no hierarchy anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Although you could say that if Ericsson a 100,000 person company works with a small startup I mean there is a bit of hierarchy but yeah, but still yeah. there's no formal reporting hierarchy anymore do, do you see this
1: trend happen and where do you think it will take things going Yeah forward? we are <clears throat> I think this culture of I uh, should say informal teams or sort of not well I guess informal teams is a good word <clears throat> I mean we had that for a long time in Ericsson um, uh, many of the great breakthroughs or inventions have come out of these almost like undercover teams. Skunk works yeah kind of exactly. activities right uh, much of the things that we have done in IOT for instance have been 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 uh, done that was really started by a number of um, uh, passionate people who yeah. came together uh, disregarding organizational right. boundaries and things like that so so I think uh, it's uh, and it's a recognized method, and it's even encouraged. I mean, I encourage it, and yeah. many other managers encourage it. Um, I I remember back in the '90s when when we were here in Lund. We I mean, we had the mobile phone business. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And <clears throat> that I, time was was really successful. Yeah, we were extremely successful, <clears throat> and um, um, I I remember at one point that I realized that. Um, the sign of a dynamic organization uh, was that uh, the activities uh, defined the organization. Right. Uh, 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 the sign of a stagnated or stale organization was that the activities were, de- were defined by the organization right. structure. Yeah.
0: And I think that's really a so, observation. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, so I think, I mean, and that that's still valid today, <clears throat> that the, the organized formal organization If you're a healthy company, then the formal organization is constantly trying to keep up with how things changes in the company.
0: Um, So, I want to come back. I sent you the link to a blog post. I'm not sure if you had a chance to look at it. But I recently was at a company here in Sweden (coughs) where uh, I did a talk. And afterwards, I got a long email (coughs) from one of the employees of that company who uh, said that, you know, this was all nice and beautiful, frontline people were convinced, first-line managers were convinced, but the moment you got to second-line, third-line managers, mm-hmm. <coughs> these people were much more concerned with their position than with the actual innovations that people were, yeah. were driving, and that we saw that we have the dynamic organization at the bottom, but then we had the stale organization at the top. Yeah. Do you, do you recognize, I mean, of course, this was not Ericsson, this was another company, but do you recognize these tendencies in organizations
1: that you walk into? I think that's a tendency in every big organization. Yeah. yeah. I, How do I, you overcome that? <coughs> yeah, I think <clears throat> there are many different ways <coughs> to address that, I think. Um, one is, as, many, as always, it starts at the top, I think. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think we see a really interesting change now with our new CEO in Ericsson, for instance. Hmm. The kind of things he emphasizes, the kind of things he prioritizes, hmm. the messages he sends to the organization. I think can you give an example of something that you feel <clears throat> really embodies this new way of thinking? <clears throat> well, I mean he for one thing he emphasizes investment in R and D. Right. I mean, um, he, invest, he, he emphasizes the importance of, of talent and talent right. acquisition. Um, uh, he emphasizes the, the importance of, of, of uh, sort of facts and and, and numbers rather than, than, than PowerPoints. I mean, there yeah. are a number of things and it's a, overall a very refreshing change. Um, I think, um, uh, then I think Putting the right incentives mm. in place in the organization is also really key. Uh, uh, if you create a business unit structure where every business unit is measured only on their own performance, right. uh, you cannot expect them to help another business unit. No. I mean, you have to understand the mechanics right. of what you put in place. Then, yeah. um, of course, there are no perfect solutions. But,
0: um, no, because what I see is in a world where <clears throat> the transaction costs... <throat> over organizational boundaries is Mm -hmm. going down and down it's easier and easier to collaborate and have digitalized contracts agreements delivery of results I mean everything is moving with the transition to digitalization everything goes 10 times faster right or 100 times faster so I'm worried about large organizations because organizations that tend to be large because they do not only the thing that they're uniquely good at, yeah. but they also do a whole bunch of other things that could actually be done by others. Absolutely. So how is the large organization even still the right answer?
1: <laughs> well, I wish I knew. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, if you look at the Probably numbers... Probably not. I mean, I think <clears throat> I drew a, a curve many years ago when I, I was making a presentation for newly uh, new employees. No, it was new managers. <clears throat> uh, newly, uh, even worse. Yeah, exactly. Newly, newly uh, uh, promoted managers. Mm. I wrote this curve uh, that sort of increased uh, steeply in the beginning and then sort of Flatten, almost became flattened. horizontal, sort right. of asymptotically, uh, 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 but Went almost to a horizontal, 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 yeah, horizontal line. Yeah. Right. And my 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 thinking was that. Um, uh, uh, and this was really sort of the Parkinsonian uh, thinking, where the vertical axis was was sort of output and productiv- output of the organization, and the right. horizontal was the size, of the, size ah. of the organization. Which means that there is an optimum size. I mean, if you, I think it was <clears throat> this guy Parkinson who made I mean, mathematically proven proved that if a, a, an organization was more than what was it, 104 people or something like that, right. it could make itself busy. Yeah. without generating any output yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> of course quite... it was a joke but i mean there's a there's a certain degree there's sort of a a part a piece of yeah. of, of truth in that yes. so yeah. of course i mean you if you have 10 people 10 engineers creating a certain output adding another 90 will not multiply the output by 10 No. maybe just 3 or yes. 2 yeah exactly. so i mean this is and this is um uh, That's yeah, a challenge yeah. of, of, of industries in general. The
0: reason I'm mentioning this is when mm-hmm. I look at employee engagement if you look at traditionalists, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, you see that the engagement of people working in large companies actually goes down for every generation that appears. Mm. So its I, I really find it interesting to see what will the organization of the future look like, yeah. especially if we see many examples of organizations that, for instance, have done away with managers altogether mm. and that basically are completely self-empowered organizations. And if you look at... The success that some of these organizations have, I don't think it fits all personality types, all individuals, but yeah. I think it's quite interesting uh, development to see what that means. Bjorn, we need to wrap this up because I've, I'm really enjoying talking to you, which we're actually sk- went way over the half hour <laughs> that I had planned. Yeah. So I have two final questions. One is, what do you read and what do you think is worth recommending to listeners? What would be a few books that you think, if you want to be a digital professional, read this because this is something that I learned a lot from.
1: Wow. Um, I, I mentioned Zone to Win. Uh, that's a really good book. It's a short, uh, it's 100 pages. Right. It's, a, it's sort of almost like a one-night read. Right. Uh, great book. And and uh, I enjoyed it particularly because, I mean, it, it really talks about the big company, the big organization. How do you... Yeah. How do well, you this was the book by Jeffrey Moore. Exactly. Exactly, right. yeah. yeah. That's a really great book. Um, well, apart from that, I mean, I... I've read mainly fiction lately. Yeah. <laughs> and of course this book about uh, phone hacking in, in the US in the 50s. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's interesting that you mention fiction because the previous episode was with Frank Bushman. And he works on robotics in Siemens. And he had started to read a lot of science fiction again. Had gone back to the old Asimov books oh, yeah, around the Foundation. iRobots and yeah, the Foundation yeah. and yeah, all those yeah. books. Because he felt that he could find most inspiration there rather than in non-fiction books. Did, yeah. did you? Is there any fiction book that jumps out at you that you think really <clears throat> is related to this discussion?
1: The problem is if I <clears throat> if I got a little more time to think. Um, um, no, not that comes to mind. No, no okay. not really. Good. <laughs> Finally.
0: What would be the three things that you would recommend to listeners that want to become digital professionals or perhaps already are digital professionals but want to strengthen their performance? What would be the three things that you would recommend to them?
1: Wow. Well, I mean, it's a a worn phrase, but eat your own dog food is a good one. I mean, Mm -hmm. that that sort of use your own products, use your own stuff. Put yourself in your customers' shoes. I mean, that's 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 always very healthy and very yeah. often very. Um,
0: At Intuit, we said eat your own caviar because yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. why make yeah. bad stuff for <coughs> other people and yeah. eat good stuff
0: yourself? Yeah. So we wanted to have good stuff that works exactly. for everyone.
1: Then, then I think um, uh, experimenting. You know, I mentioned that before. Uh, being a little brave and trying out yeah. new things. That's yeah. that's uh, and and. Um, keep a backup <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it goes goes wrong. If was, it's that, sound. was that the third recommendation? <laughs> no, no, that's actually part of the experiment. That's yeah. sort of sound experimentation. That's with a backup. Uh, uh, the third thing was, I think that comes down to what I talked about before, this uh, anti-creative reflexes. I mean, expose right. yourself to other yeah. environments, industries, yeah. people. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, push yourself outside of your comfort box. I
0: mean, yeah. Björn, thank you so much for participating in the content, in the podcast. I really enjoyed it. I hope Me you, too. Uh, you enjoyed this, this discussion as well. And uh, I really look forward to uh, the responses from the listeners. Great. So thank you for taking for the time today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Digital You podcast. If you want to stay informed of my upcoming podcasts, blog posts, videos, books, Courses and research articles, go to my website at www.janbosch.com or send me email at at janjanbosch.com. Join the mailing list and receive regular updates that help you become a digital leader.